Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Positively Gam is sponsored by Vaseline. See how they are working towards equitable skin care for all at Vaseline.com. Not all care is created equal. Alaska's care stands wings and tails above the rest. And we want people to know so that the next time they book a flight, they'll book it with the most caring airline in the sky. Us. To Alaska, every customer is a guest and every guest is a priority. That's why they go the extra mile day after day, flight after flight to treat you right. Because Alaska Airline is the only airline that cares about you as much as you do. Alaska flies here, there, and everywhere you care about, like Chicago, Hawaii, Las Vegas, Cancun, and New York. Earn 30% more miles compared to other U.S. airlines with Mileage Plan. See alaskaair.com slash mileage plan for details. Alaska rewards Mileage Plan members with one mile for every mile they fly. No other airline offers this many miles or this level of care. Book online now at alaskaair.com and earn one mile for every mile you fly on the most caring airline in the sky. The challenges that we as Black Americans just fighting for a decent education and a quality education. And we talk about privilege and it, sh- it should not be a privilege. It's a right. What's up, everybody? I'm Gammy, and this is Positively Gam. Every week, I have raw, in-depth conversation with inspirational people pushing for change on everything from aging, relationships, politics, and wellness to the current issues facing the Black community. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the disparity in education in America with my friends, 
John Lucas and Charette Chambers. John is a returning guest. I always love my conversations with him on and off the show. So welcome back, John, and welcome, Charette. John, let's just talk about a little bit about what is the privilege of having a good education and what privileges make a good education. I think that a good education is having a solid foundation of just overall academic skills and skill sets to help a person navigate into higher education or to go into straight into the workforce with ease and confidence. And that's what I think that's what we're having the problem, the, the ease and the confidence, knowing that we have fully educated our children so that they have all the tools in the tool belt to go out and handle what they need. Now, privilege, that's, a, that's the interesting word because with the privilege of the good education can be various things, extracurriculars that kind of open the mind and the spectrum to new and different things, networks of people that you would not normally have. And those things also set your trajectory when you are coming into adulthood and everyday life. Exactly. And and I know from my experience, we were educated in the public school system. Now, that is not necessarily the route that the next generation of my family is taking. But my sisters, my brother, all of us, we were raised and Jada was raised in the public school system. And for me, in doing my research, I, I have to tell you that it just put me in a really it hurt my spirit. <laughs> the challenges that we as Black Americans just fighting for a decent education and a quality education. And we talk about privilege and it, sh- it should not be a privilege. It's a right. Everybody has, should have a right to a decent quality education. The frustration for me is overwhelming because my parents, the goal for them was that we would be able to stand in a room with anybody at any time, any place, and feel confident about who we were and feel like we're able to have a conversation and we're as smart as and we're as worthy as anybody else to be standing where we are. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not just about book learning. It is about your experiences as well. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And we all know that we have, this has just been an ongoing conversation over and over yeah, again. And, uh, I know I'm a 80s, 90s kid mm-hmm. coming up and even the quality of education versus what we have now is just different. And there are many different factors. I know when I was coming up in school, there was still a lot of what we called the good union jobs that were around the city yeah. that were pumping mm-hmm. tax dollars into the education systems. So even though the school I went to wasn't known as the top high school to go to, actually, it was known as the hood school. I went to Joliet Central High School. It had three different rival gangs in it, about 2,500 students, but it also had the best band in the state. We would take mm-hmm. state competition every year. Our salutatorian is a financial officer for the United Nations. And she came out of Joliet Central Public School. So there was, you know, a quality education that came out and the level of quality has just gone down for various reasons like funding. Funding. But also dependence on technology. I'm noticing I'm in the process of helping 
students with my program with college essays and they hand me this essay and I'm like, do y'all still use commas? Do they still use commas? <laughs> it's rough. Sharette, what is your feeling about all this? I don't want to leave you out of the conversation because you're specifically going through this now with your son, deciding how you're going to educate your son. And you were not raised in the public school system. Is that correct? No, I started off in the public school system. So from first through eighth grade, from, you know, kindergarten to eighth grade, I was a part of the public school system. But when I was in in middle school, I was introduced to a summer program, a summer enrichment program that took place um, in Fieldston, which is a school, it's actually an independent day school in Riverdale in the Bronx. And through that, they introduced me to A Better Chance. And A Better Chance is a program that allows students of color to get introduced into high schools that'll pretty much lead them into higher academia, like collegiate schools like Harvard, Yale. I ended up going to Tufts. So I went to a private school for high school, which was a boarding school in Pennsylvania. So that was the first time being away at the age of 14. And then coming from Harlem, New York, to go into Mercersburg, Pennsylvania, that was huge. So you went to a boarding school then? Yes. Wow. That must have been interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, seriously, what what was that experience like? Was it mostly white children? There was, out of 370 students, I was one of 11 students that attended the school. One of 11 black children? One of 11, yes. Okay, now what was that like for you? (laughs) No, seriously, because, because, no, 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 seriously, because that is a very important issue. Because in, in doing my, some of my research, we will put the, the articles that I looked at, we'll put it in the, in the show notes so that people can read and listen to the same information that, that I was listening to. And one of the issues, the, the author of the articles was Nicole Hannah-Jones. And one of the challenges that she faced, she talks about going to a school that was, the majority was white. And it was the social aspect of it that was so difficult for her. The education was, she described it as academically stimulating and world expanding, but her personal experience was emotionally and socially challenging. And that's what it's like when you're taken out of your element and put into an element that's totally foreign to you. One thing I would say that's different, boarding versus a day school where you can come home and then still be around your cousins and them on the weekends versus where I was, I didn't see people until the holidays. So it's definitely a different experience. But yeah, attending Mercersburg Academy, I would definitely relate to the quote that you just read. Academically, it was challenging and it definitely prepared me for attending Tufts University. But as far as socially, The difference is that my neighbors or my roommate, we all learn together because a lot of us, again, we grew up from different parts of country of the country, whether it be South Carolina, I'm from New York City or someone from um, L.A. Or even I had a roommate that was from Merida, which is in Mexico. So having people from all over the country and other parts of other parts of the world that came in, you're learning about different cultures and again, learning about ourselves. It's so things that if you get down to the minute details, if you're asking me for like (laughs) some of the interesting things like 
hair, like dealing with aspects of hair or being a female and the things that you go through, the processes that we go through and knowing that it might be different for my white counterpart. Why don't you wash your hair every day? And it's like, why don't I wash my hair every day and talking to my beautician? Because your hair will fall out if you do that every day. <laughs> so things that I had to learn about myself and why am I considered different to my neighbor or my roommate? but yet how we were able to learn from each other. So it wasn't, so it could have been socially awkward at some points, but we learned so much from each other. And and in the end, ultimately, it made me so much more prepared for what I had to face when I went to Tufts. Going to Tufts was like a piece of cake socially, because again, I came into a realm that I wasn't the only one in my freshman class. At at Mercersburg, I was one. It was just me. And then there was another African-American male. And we happen to both come from the same program in the Bronx, actually. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the state of education in America for Blacks versus whites. Because I think that is... We've touched on it already, but it is definitely different. Like, even in Baltimore, most of the tax dollars for education goes to the the areas where the property taxes are higher. So we already know that is where the white folks are. That's where the money is. And then the people who really need it aren't, aren't getting the, the support. Aren't getting it and also getting thrown into jail for trying to access it. When, when you just look at the education system as a whole, there are so many things missing. And so when you look at the state of education for Black America, you add on the multiple factors that go on with what's going on with the system in general. So you add poverty, single-parent homes, lack of healthy foods, drugs and violence in the community, mass incarceration, broken judicial system, and you just stir all that up and put it on top of the broken education system. And that's what you get for Black America. A lot of our kids are so brilliant, but they are not giving the opportunity because they can't afford. They don't. They're dealing with issues because a lack of parental guidance in their lives. Issues that they have absolutely no control over. Now you throw COVID on top of that. And I I can't imagine what how those children in those impoverished areas are able to thrive. Where are they getting computers from? How, how are they getting access to technology? I... That depends. And we also have to be careful when we discuss education because it varies from state to state. In Illinois, for the high schoolers, and I think junior high as well, all the kids, they have got the funding for uh, them all to get like uh, small like Chromebooks. So is that provided by the state? It's pro- yeah, I, I think it's provided by the state. And I wonder if most states are doing that. I, I would think that they would have to. Y- yes. The real question is, does your family have internet? If you have the basic tool to possibly to learn on, do you actually have the tool at home to make it work? And that's what, and depending on the year, the area that you live, Internet can be expensive. Internet cable. I, I really just use the Wi-Fi. I watch Netflix all the time. I don't have the basic syndicated stations or whatever. And I'm still paying a hefty price. But if I'm saying, ooh, this is a little pricey, what about the parent that doesn't have money and that has three or four kids and they're trying to figure it out and survive and they can afford that bill, but they need it in order for their child to learn? It's definitely 
uh, issue that is plaguing our community. And we need to be bringing more light to it. And then you think about the parents who are struggling. They made struggling to try to figure out how they're going to make ends meet. And now you tell them they, they got to help their kids in school and they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what the kid is supposed to be learning. I wish somebody <laughs> would ask me to help them with some math. Like, like it's like this elaborate system that was created. And I actually took a student, a friend of mine had a daughter who had an interview for one of those top schools. And I went and I went on a whole tour and I was able to see with my own eyes what these kids have access to. But one of the things that they have for the parents is, because I was talking to one of the moms who was talking about the fact that our chess team went to an invitational in Orlando this past weekend. We're really excited, excited for the kids. And I was like, oh, what grades get to go? And she was like, K through five. So you have kindergartners along with first, second, third, fourth, and fifth graders traveling to Orlando for chess invitationals at this school. Wow. Like real. But she also said, oh, yeah, once a week on whatever day after school, they allow parents to come and get tutored on how to understand and execute common core so that they can help their kids. Yeah. Now, see, that definitely is not happening. But that's not happening around the way. That's not happening. They don't have no tutor. Raekwon don't even have a tutor, so his mother daggone sure don't. (laughs) Factual. (laughs) Yes. John, talk to us about your foundation. So I started a nonprofit November of 2019 called Step Into the Light. I am a musical theater performer, an actor, and a hand model. And but I just got really tired and discouraged hearing the stories back in my hometown, which is Joliet, Illinois, about how people burying their children that I went to school with, getting sent to jail, just so much happening. And I've always been a believer that you should give back. Even when I was fresh leaving college, I would always go back to the school and try to talk to kids and so on and so forth. But I was like, what can I do to help the community? Because it can be very overwhelming. There's so much to be done. But I was like, what I do know is about the arts and parts of education. So I created a program called Step Into the Light, where I provide educational and arts programs and resources to underserved and underprivileged youth. My demographic is predominantly Black people, and specifically the descendants of Black freedmen or emancipated slaves. That being said, I had a steppers program that I was going to implement right before COVID hit and COVID just shut it all down. And so that is on hiatus right now. But right now I have a program called Next Level where I work with high school youth and even kids who are in college level, making sure that they have access to the top universities, programs, resources, internships, apprenticeships, so that they can reach their full potential. Wow. That's going to be quite a task, but very much needed. I'm grateful to one thing that I've learned in general is that people do not use the network and the resources around them. And when you tap into it, you'd be amazed. Um, You'd be amazed of the treasure that you already have and you didn't know. And you don't just don't know. You're not aware. Exactly. So once I got the kids to be part of the program, then we can make things move. The hard part was 
actually act, getting access to the kids to be part of the program. We're all three of us friends. So I'm wondering, Charette, if John had an influence on you in your decision to try to get your son into private school. So let me give the listeners a little bit of background. Charette has, her son will enter kindergarten in the fall. And she's seeking the best education for her child and has decided to apply to some of New York City's elite private schools. And I want to know what made you decide to do that, Charette. And therein lies my question. Did John have an influence on you? And I I understand that your son is a a pretty smart little guy. (laughs) Yes, he's a smart cookie. Now, John has always been for education. I specifically have a friend, though, that's who introduced me to this program called Early Steps, which she actually utilized for her kids to get her kids into the independent school system. She has started working again. When you're a teacher, you're able to see both sides. Being a parent, you're seeing what you want for your child. But being a teacher and then becoming administrator, you really see the inner workings when you're working at a public school versus working at a charter school or attending a charter school. And then now what you receive, what type of education you receive from an independent school. So my good friend who I went to college with, she's the one who actually was who was like, you need to find look into this program called Early Steps. And that program is actually one that is used for, they make sure that children of color are able to get into independent schools. They work with the various independent schools in New York City, and they're their advocate. What, let, me, let me stop you right there, because I want you to give us a description or differentiate the difference between an independent school and a charter school. Like, what is the difference? Okay, now I can't speak much to charter school, but I will tell you about public school versus the independent schools. Public schools, we, what you were mentioning earlier, funded from the state versus an independent school, they're funded privately. So when they have endowments and other private funding, they're able to have, they're equipped with more things, especially you think about when I went to public school, I remember being a part of a music program. A lot of those things are not available anymore. Things have changed since when I was in public school. So an independent school is pretty much like a private school then, right? Yes. Okay. But a private school can be run solely by an owner versus the independent school has a board of members. And the tuition costs. And the tuition. Yes, honey. The people who are able to cut those checks, and in many of those cases, over 50K. So that's the other thing that blew my mind. I'm just like, wow, these independent schools, it's a great chance to further education for a child of color versus what they're going to have access to in a public school. However, when you think about the tuition, it's okay. Obviously, I don't have have it to cut a check for that. But knowing that they provide grants and the financial aid to make sure that you can attend these schools for the full time that you'll be in in attendance. I was also going to say, and just to think about what a child is able to access because his his or her parents have that money to give that fifty thousand dollars. Like it costs more to go to these schools than a year than it costs to go to a lot of colleges. Crazy, crazy to me. And then you still have secondary school and college to pay for. Oh, my God. It's outrageous. Yeah. And I was going to say that. So Charette is one of my great friends. I am her son's godfather. But so where I come in is I'm like, okay, we know Sean is brilliant. And he most likely has a great chance of getting into one of these schools. Make sure he has Black friends. 
I think that is so important as we try to navigate our children into whatever type of environment or setting, making sure that they still identify and are able to play and just be around their own people. Because one thing, as I've learned in my 44 years of life, is just because you were raised by Black parents in a Black family does not mean that you love Black people. Oh, you want to say that again? <laughs> just because <laughs> you were raised by Black people, you are a Black person in a Black family, and even in a Black neighborhood, that does not necessarily mean that you love Black people. And our things are built in this society, unfortunately, to tell us that we are subpar. Like we are just getting dark-skinned women to be seen as beautiful. When you look back in the 80s at Black women who were considered beautiful or sexy or and admired, all of them were light, bright, or brown, but nobody was dark-skinned. And those types of things have an effect from a child on a child from a very young age. Exactly. Is that something that you would be concerned about, Charette, having him in a predominantly you know, white school, the issue of about pride, about who he is and an awareness about himself. Is that a concern for you? So it is, but it isn't. That's one of the things that I asked during these interviews with these various schools. What, how are they implementing curriculum that reflects him? That was one of my questions. Like, how was diversity implemented into your curriculum? And ba- going based off of the answers and then The parents who I've been able to speak to or parents who I know who attend these schools or teach at these schools, I've been fortunate enough to get an inside scoop. But that and and still today, a lot of those schools are still fighting to make sure that the curriculum, um, that they're incorporating more information regarding African-American culture. I feel like ever since what happened with George Floyd, everyone is trying to it's all about diversity, equity, inclusion. I heard that term Mm -hmm. being thrown around so much during all of these interviews that I was going on. And it's okay if they're all under a microscope now because they know flat out we're predominantly white. We need to be diverse. What are we doing to make sure that our schools are more diverse in light of what's occurring? We want to make sure that we're not put in the spotlight for not having enough diversity. Right. (laughs) So again, trying to figure out how that's going to play out. If anything, if he's going to be learning it at home. So that's first and foremost. I feel like the foundation definitely has to come from home and in his village. We have, I have a great village of aunties and uncles. Now, mind you, I'm an only child, but I have many sisters and brothers. And it's so funny. A lot of them that I have acquired through stepping, which I'm so grateful for. Yes. Avenue. (laughs) Yes, yes, Auntie Gan will be hitting you up, too. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this, Charette. What was it that you saw in your son to make you realize that he was a little bit more advanced? Because let me just tell you something. Jada went to public schools. She was not intellectually advanced, okay? She was just a regular kid. What she was talented. So I saw that immediately, but there wasn't anything about her that I thought, oh, she's super smart too. So what was it about your son? He has an amazing memory. He's extremely articulate and he is a self-made mathematician. At the Ah! age of three, He's able to count past 100 in English and Spanish. I was a Spanish major at Tufts, so I used to try to teach him things. And he was picking up on things so early. And when I tell you this is the age of technology, he figured out, I feel so slow. He would pick up the tablet and I'm like, I know he can't spell. So how are he getting all these apps? 
he would say, sorry, download in the name of the program he wanted. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? So, <laughs> at three. And he lo- at three. And he knows. So there's things that he would see on TV. So one of the programs is called Number Blocks. So I downloaded that for him because I had heard about that from some other people as well. He fell in love with number blocks. And ever since then, he would always ask, even any conversation I was ever in, whoever I was talking to, can I talk to them too? Can I say hi? Ask me a math question. And then these people are like, what? (laughs) No, let's talk about a program or some song or famous musician. Ask me a math problem. (laughs) Wow. What about you, John? What did you see in Sean? Because I haven't seen him in years. Like when I saw him, he was still in the stroller. But I understand he's got like this, like, really wide vocabulary. He does. So on top of being able, most kids that are going to kindergarten can't count to 200 in general, in any language. But he he uses, he'll figure out a new word and he will be able to use it in context. Like immediately, like after he saw it on social, some show. So I was literally riding with Charette. This is pandemic time. So I'm like, yo, I need to get out on the sidewalk and jump some rope because I'm getting wide bodied. And so she was like, oh, me too. And he in the backseat, because he loves to jump in the conversation, was like, yeah, mommy, we need to go home so I can do some calisthenics. (laughs) And so I looked over to Charette and she was like, I don't know where you learned that word. I don't know. (laughs) And and so the next day, one of my, my neighbors that has two kids that are on Sean's age and is also a friend of Charette's. They have play dates. And we told Janissa what was said. And she turned to Sean and said, Sean, what is calisthenics? And he put his hand on his hip and started to reach from side to side. So he, I was literally with him a couple of days ago. And how people have things written on their wall, like little sayings or so on and so forth. And I was like, Sean, what does that say? Just to see if he could identify any of the words. And he's four years old. And he said, nothing is. And it said, nothing is impossible. But I was like, how does a four-year-old know how to read nothing? Where when I was in first grade, we were still like, see, Jill, run. Right. (laughs) Now we have this kid. Yeah, one syllable words. is, exactly. Nothing is. And he said it plain as day. Yeah, that's what it says. And so, like, when you really look back, you he's four. He's going to be five soon. Even if five-year-olds do, do, normally aren't able to read a word like that. He's already on, on his way to reading. So the books that we grew up reading at that age level, he is uh, beyond his years. What what was the interview process for your son? Because you you all have already started this process, right? I'm almost at the end. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm so grateful for that. Some schools require testing. So begin with early steps. They had an interview process. So not just anyone can't just join and become a part of it. You have to be interviewed and they give your child an assessment. That's the first step. Their thoughts with that is this is going to mimic what you're going to go to when you go through the independent process, because you're also going to be interviewed. Your child's going to be interviewed. Your child will be given an assessment. So the same things that your child go through with the independent school, they want to make sure that okay, let's do the same thing and then we can work with you to prepare you for what's good, what you're going to encounter now next with the independent schools. And of course, some of the benefits to being with a program like Early Steps 
you get fee waivers for the applications. And then they work on your, they work behind the scenes on your behalf when it's time to make that selection. When the schools are making the selection for, especially that we need to add diversity, who are the people that we're using early step students? There are some of the kids that they're going to use in regards to that. And they're an early step is really your advocate. They're going to step in and see, okay, based off of what we've seen from this person's child, we think there'll be a best fit for this school. Because a lot of times, especially me being a mom of one child, I've never been through this process at all. You have different types of schools. You have co-ed schools, you have single sex schools, you have kindergarten through fifth grade, kindergarten through eighth grade, and then K through 12. So it's realizing, well, what would be the best fit for my child? So trying to figure that out. And of course that comes through with tons of research because again, I can say that I know my child, but his learning style is probably going to change or what he likes to do. That's probably going to change. So for now, based off what I know now, this is, I can attain what I would like in a program for him. Okay. I'm thinking as you're talking, because I'm thinking, well, I think I would want my child in a school that's K through 12. So he wouldn't have to keep changing. He wouldn't have to keep changing his environment. But I didn't think about what you just said. And that is his learning style may change. His interests may change. So maybe you don't want to put him in something like that. Like all of those things that you have to consider. Yes. One thing I say is that one thing that we do just as humans is we do not afford a child grace for their brains to grow like their bodies do. So your body goes through growth spurts. Like sometimes you're going to be the shortest in the class. Sometimes you're going to be the tallest somewhere in between as your body develops. I think the same thing goes for your brain. There are people who start off and they're just an average student. And then all of a sudden they go through this growth spurt mentally where they take off. But I think that sometimes they're like, if you don't have it by the time when you're three, you're just, you're done. And so we write off a whole lot of kids who have not reached their full potential yet because we stopped searching for them because they didn't show promise at the age that we thought they should. So true. And recognizing that children learn different ways. And I think that for most kids, I I don't think that most kids do well just sitting at the desk all day long, just learning that way. A lot of kids need more interaction, need more movement, need different kinds of stimulation. Arts is one of the first things to get cut from programming. And a lot of our children uh, oftentimes miss their calling because they're really that artistic brain. They like singing. They like dancing. They like music. They like painting, especially with a lot of our Black kids. There's so much talent artistically amongst our people that does not get cultivated because of programming, but also because parents do not see them, their children being financially successful in that field. Right. Charette, I want to ask you, what was the interview process like? So the questions come across that they want to know more details about your child. And then uh, what are you looking for in an education? What's your reason for choosing an independent school? But ultimately, yes, they're trying to figure out what type of what's going to be your place and your role while sending your child to this type of program. Because, again, one of the things that my friend who sent their kids to independent schools, it's like this is very hands on. The parents there, they're almost uh, some of them are always there. Like they even talk about how like 
We encourage parents and grandparents to come in, eat breakfast with the kids. It's most likely you could come and drop off and you need to head to work and then you won't be back until the after school program is over at six o'clock. Like generally speaking, that's how it usually goes. But just knowing that they expect more from the parents because you know how you more than just PTA, like how, what are we doing? We're having this extracurricular activity or when, as um, John was talking about the chess team, they might have parents that go, they're like the chaperone for these trips. So one to know, is that the level of support that you're going to be able to provide to your child? So it's like how, yes, how, like what's the extent that you're going to be involved in this process? I had talked previously about this author of this article with that with Nicole Hannah-Jones. And she lives in New York. And we all know that, I shouldn't say we all know, New York City is one of the most segregated school systems in the nation. And when she and her husband were making the decision about whether they were going to send their child to private school or public school. It was a real dilemma for them because at some point in time, you think, are we becoming part of the problem when we put our children in private school versus public school? Should you do the research to find a decent public school Or are you experimenting with your child based on your own idealistic views of what the public of what a public education should be? Because technically, you should be able to send your child to public school and get the same kind of education that you get from a private school. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Yes. And that's the first thing I did. Coming back to New York, I'm thinking, okay. My family, we all grew up and went to the same school that's literally like 100 feet away from where I'm currently living. Everyone went to that public school. But seeing the grades, when you review the grades and the things that occur in the area, it's like, do I want to put my son in that? And especially knowing that he's already doing math and reading at a first grade level. Again, am I going to send him to a school that's a 25 to 1 ratio where he might get lost in the sauce or just not be mentally stimulated versus these independent schools that have the funding to meet the that teachers are able to meet the kids where they are. So some of the reasons why, again, I chose an independent school over a public school, again, the type of education that he's going to be able to receive. When they told me that, when they noticed that your child might might be over-excelling or they're doing great in one area, they have special periods where they're like, okay, we see that you're doing great in math. Let's take it a step further. Let's start, instead of letting kids just wait till they go to the next grade, to get that information. It's like, why not start now? We're able to do that at this school. Or even, I love languages. So knowing that kids are able to start learning Spanish and and sometimes at pre-K, but definitely at kindergarten, that just blows my mind. And that's amazing when I know I didn't start learning Spanish until junior high school in public school. So some of those type of differences. And it's so crucial because it's at this age that he's at four and five, they're sponges. So this is the best time to introduce a language. As we start to to wrap things up, I just I want to encourage the listeners to go to our show notes and look up these articles that I'm talking about, because at the end of the day, one of the things that has been proven to work when it comes to education is integrating the schools. And what we have, 
like starting in 2002, we started reverting back to segregating the schools again. And integration works. And it doesn't have as much to do with race as it has to do with plain and simply resources. It is about resources. That if our children are given the same resources <laughs> as the other schools, they will thrive and do well. I think that definitely making sure that children have resources is key. And when you integrate, of course, that gives our Black children the opportunity to have access to everything that others have had for decades or even centuries. <laughs> well, I was going to say that with this new administration and Dr. Jill Biden coming in as first lady, I'm very curious as what she's going to take under her belt and make a priority for the education system. But I am hoping and praying for some uh, huge change in how money is spent and dollars are shared. Yes. Because the inequity in our education, we can't continue to ignore this because everybody is not going to have access to extra programs and dollars and resources to get into private schools. Factual. And, and we need, it's a right. Like, we, we should not have to be fighting for this. We should not have to be fighting for quality education. But we do. And so we must. Yeah, the fight continues. And you can't complain about the product that the machine makes if the machine is broken. You have to fix the machine. I think that it's important that as we hold our governments and and city councils and school boards accountable for what we don't have, we still have to make sure that we're utilizing what we do have because a lot of times we don't do that and our kids fail because of it. Exactly colleges, internships, apprenticeships, so on and so forth. So the problem that I was running into is one of my students I met at the gym. I just got to town because I needed to get a lay of the land because it was different than when I grew up in, in Joliet, Illinois. Met him at the gym. He was registering me for my membership. And I was like, what high school did you go to? We went to the same high school and he had just graduated. I said, okay, great. Congratulations. What are you, what are you doing now? And he says, I'm going to Joliet Junior College and I have, and I'm majoring social work. And I Mm -hmm. was like, okay, cool. What was your graduating GPA? And he said a 4.3. Why is someone with a 4.3 majority AP classes, which are now the, and sent to Joliet Mm -hmm. Junior College? That should never have happened because he can get a full ride to a slew of universities across the country. And so our children are falling through the cracks and I am there to try to make sure that I can catch as many as I can um, and and bring them to higher ground and just open their minds. You know, I bring in um, different people that I know, um, some I don't have been referred through other people that are uh, doing great things, have awesome professions and will tell their story, how they got there, what they did, what they did wrong to really open the spectrum Mm of the kids. I would like to do, of course, when uh, the world opens back up, to take these kids on more field trips and in school trips because a child's gaze is only as far as its family, Mm -hmm. the community, and the people that they have access to. So I'm trying to 
connect them to as many people as possible to open yeah. their horizons so that they know that there's so much more out there that, that they can be and that they can do. So I have uh, created a GoFundMe page. If you go to GoFundMe and just um, type in uh, Step Into the Light fundraiser, it should come up. The picture is a silhouette of, of people in their cap and gown. And I am trying to raise money to keep this thing moving. It's hard when right now I'm working out of pocket and I believe in this in these children. I would love your support. Whatever you can give, I am just thoroughly grateful for. Absolutely. Thank you so much, both of you. Charette, we are going to be praying for your son. I think by the time this airs, you will have made a decision and gotten the results and made a decision about where your son will be attending school. So we hope that all works out for you. Thank you so much, Dan. You're welcome. So here is my takeaway after my conversation with my good friends, John and Charette, on the disparity in education in America. We must make our voices heard loud and clear that quality education for all should be a right, not a privilege. I want to leave you with this quote from Martin Luther King. I cannot see how the Negro will totally be liberated from the crushing weight of poor education, squalid housing, and economic strangulation until he is integrated with power into every level of American life. Thank you again to my guests. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review. Follow me on my Instagram at Gammy Norris to share with me your thoughts on the episode. I'm here, I'm talking, and I'm listening. As always, y'all, stay grateful. Positively Gam is produced by Westbrook Audio. Executive producers, Adrian Banfield-Norris, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Amanda Brown, and Fallon Jethro. Co-executive producer, Sim Hoti. Associate producer, Erica Ron and Crystal Devon. Editor and mixer, Calvin Bailiff. Positively Gam is in partnership with Art19. 